Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. G'day, this is Better Make It Quick, the very quick Wednesday recap edition of Better Than Yesterday, which is a podcast that does just what it says on the box to make your day-to-day better than it was yesterday. We have conversations with people from all over the world, uh, some of them experts in their field, and I'm here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays and Wednesdays with a guest, and Fridays, I'm with you. My name's Osher. I'm a, I'm a podcaster, TV host, author, uh, deadlifter, motorcycle rider, physics explainer to a three-year-old when he wants to know why the car won't do the jump like it does in the cartoon when it goes down the jump and doesn't fly through the air. We have to talk about physics. It's great. I love it. And I'm here with you today to have a small bite of a longer conversation that I had with Paul Field. In 2018, Paul Field, the legendary musician, filmmaker, and author, Paul, we sat down to talk about Red Nose Day and Paul's work in raising awareness for SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. Now, we discuss SIDS, we discuss child loss in this conversation. It's it's difficult, difficult territory to walk across. If, if you're not up for it, that's okay. I'll, I'll be back here on Friday. But Paul was a, uh, a founding member of an Australian band called The Cockroaches, uh, along with his brother, Anthony Field, who you may have seen in a blue skivvy singing about a big red car. Now, Paul started out as a musician, but now he's something completely different. I'm the managing director of the Wiggles. <laughs> Not the band manager, the managing director of like Wiggles Inc. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a small operation. Small? Uh, we are, well, in the sense of the number small of people. Small operations don't get DFAT awards, mate. <laughs> True. <laughs> I just mean as in the number of people working, you know, with us. It's, 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 but, yeah, it's, it's um, 27 years strong, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and, it, it, yeah, it's, it's great fun, exciting, and it's a family business. My brother Anthony created the group. He's the Blue Wiggle. Three of my kids work for the organisation, so I know where they are most times. Which is pretty cool, um, and yeah, it's it's just great to be part of something that's really so positive, so successful, and also has challenges ahead of it. It's not like we're bored with what we do. Yeah. It's you know, it's a every eighteen months there's a new audience born. You know, so you've got to be able to engage them, and it's a different. 
you know, the first wave of success the Wiggles had in North America uh, in the early noughties, 2003, I think, was the peak. Um, very different era, you know, where before all the digital platforms existed and all that kind of stuff. So it's great to be able to adapt and, and as we have and, yeah, it's great fun. Tell me about if you wouldn't be, I mean, we're here to talk about yeah. about that. We're also here to talk about uh, Red Nose Day, which, yeah, I, which I know you have a very a very deep and profound connection to. Um, but I, you know, I am, I am quite interested in transition phases in people's yeah. in people's careers. Like mm. you're on stage, you're you're you know, you're on the telly, you're on the radio. Yep. Um, when was the the cockroaches thing and when did you know uh this thing's gonna be over i think i might go do something else i think like a lot of things they just kind of creep up on you and then you 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 know it, things change that's that's the that's the one constant in life is change particularly in entertainment you know and um so the cockroaches you know we started literally when we were in high school and i'm one of seven children and the, the last three of us my, I was born in May 61. My brother Johnny was May 62 and Anthony May 63. So we've always done stuff together. And um, we ended up, you know, playing music together and in high school, you know, forming the Cockroaches. And we've always just had that, wouldn't it be great to, you know, do a gig, you know, to put out a single, you know. And, and, and that's all we wanted to do. We were music fanatics, you know. And so it kicked off and eventually we had some enormous success. And, you know, it was a live band, then a, a gold album, a platinum album, yeah, on Countdown, on TV shows, all that kind of stuff. But when it was taking off, um, in the Anthony had done all sorts of things and he'd at one stage they'd joined the army, right, um, for no other – well, two main reasons, right? Elvis did. And I kid you not, that's a serious factor in Anthony's life. And that girls like guys in uniforms, two pretty bloody good reasons, I think, you know. And I think when he got off the bus at Kapuka and the guy was screaming at him, in, in nose to nose at him, thought, oh, this is a mistake. <laughs> but, yeah, good luck to him. He was a trained infantry soldier, drove an APC and eventually found his niche music. So he eventually joined the pipes and drums and they for eight hours a day would practice music and the pipes. And so he found his little area. By the time he got out of the army uh, in the early 80s, he was posted in Sydney. So that he kind of was able to do gigs. He'd literally pay someone to do guard duty for him and would nick off to a gig and go back. And then the band... Uh, he finished the army and then was kind of had done all the macho side of his life. And the band was still kicking the cockroaches, you know, with playing stuff. And really, again, this is the way life happens. One of my sisters, Colleen, was wanted to do an early childhood course at uh, the Waverley campus of Macquarie Uni. And Anthony, he said to Anthony, can you give me a lift? I want to, I've got to sign up for this course. So on the way there, he said, what's the course all about? She said, oh, it's early childhood studies. You can teach preschool kids. And she went, oh, okay. And he dropped her off and actually went with her when she went to do a, a, a sign up. And I think in the the campus around this area, actually, say there were 400 people on campus, literally 395 were women. Anthony's just out of the army. He went, this is bloody good. <laughs> Ironically enough, he's the one that signed 
to do the course, again, for as much reasons as why he joined the army. Um, my sister dropped out, but he, he eventually stayed and grew to actually love the course. He, he thought it was the, kind of the other side of his, you know, done the macho thing. This was in parent children. He, he found it fascinating. And so he did a year of that course and then the cockroaches took off, like literally boom, and he, so he deferred it. And then uh, we'd had all that success, as I say, and in 1988 we did Expo, which I think we spoke about. Um, and in September of 1988 we were touring, the cockroaches were touring in Queensland and the industry had started to change a bit anyway. It was the last year of Countdown, which was a, a nationally broadcast pop TV show, which was massive. Radio just started to change. Anyway, we were in, in Airlie Beach and um, it was September 1. And I, my, by that stage, I was married with a boy, my little boy Luke, who's 32 now, was two at the time. A little baby girl, Bernadette, who was seven and a half months old. And these are the days before mobile phones. So my wife and I would call on the landline every, every few days kind of thing as much as we could. Because I was touring, she went up to her parents' place in Cessnock in the Hunter Valley and stayed with her mum and dad and that was great. And so thank God I, I actually did call that night of September 1 and Bernadette had just started to crawl and her grandfather had taught her this little trick. He'd wave it and, and, teach, and was teaching her to say ta-ta. And um, so Pauline was telling me the latest tricks and literally – got her to say ta-ta to me over the phone, which is is beautiful, and I was very lucky to hear her voice. And then she woke up during the night, uh, about one-ish, I think, and Pauline went in to see her, and she was just gurgling and smiling at my wife, you know, and she went, you know, little monkey, what are you doing, you know, and she was just happy and said hello to her kind of thing and put her back down to bed. And then that next morning, the morning of September 2 in 1988, Pauline woke up and they were watching breakfast TV and they saw the host had Red Nose Day. This is 30 years ago. It was the first Red Nose Day in Australia. And I think the, my grand, uh, Pauline's father had said, oh, that's a bit silly. What are they doing that for? And she went, oh, look, it's a good cause, blah, blah, blah. She literally went from there into where Bernadette was sleeping and she walked, as most parents would know, something was wrong as soon as she walked into the room. And she died during the night of sudden infant death syndrome. Pauline was shrieking and picked her up, screaming, saying, she's not breathing, she's not breathing. And um, her brother just said, come with me. And they, they screamed her and drove into the hospital with the horn blaring the whole time, which is only a few minutes away, the hospital. But she died during the night. Um, and so they took her away for a little while and just came back and said, sorry, she's died, you know. And uh, uh, I was up in Queensland, as I said, and... As the universe would have it, my father, who had been a pharmacist his whole life, had retired and just, you know, three of his sons were on tour going to Queensland. He said, oh, I'll come with you, you know, for the crack kind of thing. I said, that'd be great. So he did. And I was very lucky in that sense so that, you know, the one who told me about my daughter's death was my dad. And I was in, I was sharing a room with him. I was in shaving and he came in and I thought, God, something's wrong, you know. He couldn't speak and he just put his hand on my shoulder and said, come in. And he sat me down on the bed there and just said, Bernadette's dead. And my brothers, Johnny and Anthony, were in the room next to me. I, I really actually can't remember much of this at all now, but they said they just heard this guttural wail, you know. And uh, um, so, yeah, that's that's how I found out. And eventually Pauline rang me from the hospital. Poor thing was just wrecked and just said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, Pauline, it's not you. She just, you know, I, I didn't really understand much about it then. 
But I flew back um, that night and um, a mate of mine actually I used to teach with um, picked me up from the airport and I said, oh, he was taking me up to the Hunter Valley and I said, oh, I've got to drop into my house. I need, there's something I need to get, which I didn't. I just actually wanted the excuse to go to her room. And, you know, God, she'd only been gone a couple of days and I just went into her little bedroom and her cot and she used to sleep on this lamb's well. And so I just picked it up and smelt it because, you know, her little baby, you know, I could smell her still, which, you know, was a beautiful and aching thing to do, but I really needed to do that, you know. And and then I drove up and kind of the, the nightmare began, you know, and uh, it was um, – just the worst time, which is never far from me, you know, and and um, we we just wept and wept, but spoke a lot with each other, you know, and just went into. Actually, it was interesting. I, I at the time she was um, down at the, uh, you know, the funeral directors, and someone asked me, "Would you like to see her body?" Um, and at the time, I said no because, in some ways, I thought, oh, you know, it's not something you'd like to do, you know, but. I've learnt since that actually it's kind of a good thing for your healing to actually say goodbye to whoever's passed, you know. And I guess that's my first step in learning about grief because, you know, in the modern age we don't really do it well, you know, and different cultures for centuries have done it well for very good reasons. Paul was back on tour right after his daughter Bernadette passed away. And he was really struggling. He's on the road. He's touring with the cockroaches, touring with the band that had stopped being fun for Paul, had stopped being fun for the rest of the band. And this led to an enormous change. With his early childhood studies, Anthony had actually come to one of the kind of band meetings for the cockroaches and said, we should do an album of of kids' music, (laughs) which at the time was like saying, we should fly to Mars. You know, it's like, what do you mean, you know? But whatever Anthony's into, it's 100%. And he was fascinated by early childhood and how, you know, children who aren't putting sentences together, how they can be engaged by music, et cetera, et cetera. And it was probably for the better because, you know, even though we're just a couple of years apart, I kind of had the the older brother vibe to me. Johnny was kind of the musical guy and Anthony was in between all of that. And so had we actually, he said, I'm going to do, I'm going to do an album then. It'll help me get a job as a preschool teacher and, and I want to do it, you know, and using my musical background and my educational background. So he went off and did that kind of with a couple of mates from uni, Murray and Je- uh, Greg, and then with his old cockroaches, uh, piano playing mate Jeff um, did this album, and so in 1991, that's when they the Wiggles first started playing and recording. So the Cockroaches still kind of existed, but we limped on just for a few more years and then kind of, kind of you know faded into the background. Um, but it worked. Anthony did get a job as a preschool teacher by making this album. So he he taught it. Uh, Blake actually ran this, a, a place around this area, um, Temple Emmanuel, a, a Jewish preschool, uh, for a few years and and loved immersing himself in, in that culture. Uh, so often people, if they see some of the early Wiggle songs, both here in the States, they say, so who's Jewish? It's like, no, 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 <laughs> he's just taught there. So, you know, Lechu Yeladim, Havana Shalom Alechem and all these other uh, songs in Hebrew, Anthony got to know the culture through, through his preschool. And eventually the Wiggles got successful um so eventually he said uh to the people there you know i've got to go 
you know, and we're going to do this full time. So it's interesting how these things, mm. you know, happened. And the Wiggles' first album was dedicated to my daughter, Bernadette, and um, from day one, uh, we were involved with, you know, helping out and spread the word about um, sudden infant death syndrome. Um, and, in fact, the year after she died in 1989, because uh, we had a platform, we did a, a charity event at Selena's. Which it was, was just a, down the road at Coogee, yeah. yeah. It. It, was a, it was a big one too. I, yeah. I, I remember it. It was yeah. like at the time it was just all, it was superstars. It was the Barnsley, the Farnsley, yes. uh, Daza, <laughs> Summers. Yes. It was like it was the greatest hits. And it, it, it was great. And, and actually kudos to Jimmy Barnes. I, I actually now know her as a grown adult, but his little girl at the time, Ellie May, <sighs> had, was born quite premature and – uh, almost did not survive and so mm. she was in one of those humidity cribs for a long time um, and uh, yeah mate I reached out to him and he was the first to say yes and at the time Jimmy was massive seller Barnstorming was humongous he'd left yeah. Cold Chisel people yes. didn't care because yeah. they were like we don't care we just came to see Barnsley we, yeah. <laughs> we just want to see the show and we want to see this guy to sing about the flame trees he, Let's go. He, and he was he was doing the entertainment centre at the time you know and so on and uh, ten nights in a row something yeah. humongous like that yeah he was as big as it gets so it was awesome of, of him and, and I've known him and worked with him in re recent years a lot um, he's the same bloke he's, he's such a lovely generous he really is. giving guy um, so I, I still remember that. And uh, so it was good, even way back then. And, and funny enough, the first Wiggles appearance on TV was, I think, not I think, was the Today Show on a Red Nose Day. And they were playing live in, in Chatswood, you know. And uh, so it's all been connected. We're going to take a quick ad break. Back on the other side of this with more from Paul Field. Just a quick reminder, if uh, you are in Australia, anywhere near Sydney or Melbourne, the link is in the show notes for this episode to come and see NTNN NNN, the uh, live fake news show that I'm doing on stage. It's absolutely super fun. It's the funniest hour you'll have ever reading about or hearing about all the horrible fucking things that are happening in the news. Uh, we're playing in Sydney. We're doing the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and the Sydney Comedy Festival. So come along. No two shows are the same. So if you come once, come again, because it'll be completely different next time you see it. We're back in a second with Paul. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Now, since the death of his daughter, Bernadette, Paul Field has done a lot of work with uh, Red Nose Day and raising awareness for SIDS. So I asked, for people who don't know, could you please explain what exactly what SIDS is? 
Look, I can explain it as far as a layman can in the sense of it's literally the absence of any other cause. So, you know, doctors, coroners can tell, give you the reason why they die, why a child dies or any person dies really. This is the absence of that, right, where the body literally just shuts down. Um, and through research, which started before 1988, but the, with the first red nose days, a lot of funds started to pour into that area. They were at least able to identify some triggers so that, you know, they found in Australia that there was a high inc- – Australia and New Zealand, there was a very high incidence of SIDS. One in 500 babies died from sudden infant death. Bloody hell. Yeah. And, um, and they thought, okay, and that it peaks during winter, during when it's cold. So, that, okay, it must be something to do with the cold. But in European places where it's cold most of the time, the incidence was quite low. So, it kind of baffled them. Anyway, they eventually found out that um, – what we do in Australia and New Zealand is we're not used to the cold. So when it is cold, what do you naturally do for your child? I better make sure they're warm. All the blankets I can find. Thank you. Bundle them up, wrap them up tight. And when Luke was born in Bernadette, we were told in hospital, wrap them up tight, put them on their belly so that if they vomit, they won't choke. Well, no, I don't. as far as I know, no kid's ever choked on vomit to death, right? You're not Bon Scott. No, <laughs> exactly right. And um, so, in fact... That's the overheating is one of the triggers. So they started pretty much the year after Bernadette died a safe sleeping campaign, which is you put them on their back because again on their belly um, they're more likely to overheat. You know you actually cover them so they're 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 not cold, but you keep the cot area quite free of toys and all that kind of stuff. You don't sleep in the same bed with your child because you will overheat, you can overheat them, you know, Um, that kind of stuff and all the other things of smoke-free, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But that has had a profound amount of success so that from 1988 to now in 2018, 30 years later, the incidence of SIDS SIDS has been reduced by 85%. And those that deal with numbers can say, well, that's 10,000 babies who are alive now who wouldn't had we not started this campaign. So it is interesting. There's not much you can do other than this safe sleeping thing, but, man, that has been helpful. Um, But there are other things like... Uh, that, that exist with a- adults as well, sleep apnea. Um, so you can actually test for that and that can be another one of the triggers for mm-hmm. SIDS. Uh, so we had a daughter that was born just a bit over nine months after Bernadette died and Claire, her name is, and um, so we thought, okay, well, we'll get her tested for sleep apnea because, yeah. you know, we, we, and so on. And that was one of the worst nights of my life. Um, they had her hooked up to a, a, a breathing machine and... Uh, and I didn't know this at the time, but um, all babies have periods of non-breathing, right? And there's clearly something in the body that says, hey, time to breathe again, and you do. Clearly with SIDS and sleep apnea, that there's something there missing that says doesn't kick in and you, you, you don't breathe again. Well, I was there that night and every time she stopped breathing, I thought she would, was dead. <laughs> and uh, so I was a wreck and they came by the next morning with the chart and went, yeah, that's normal. And you know, I rang my mum, oh, my God, I, and Pauline, of course, I think Pauline might have been there, I can't remember. But um, I could hardly speak. I was crying so much, just saying, she's okay, she's yeah. okay. And uh, and you could get this motion monitor thing, which, you know, you put under the baby. And, again, it, it's if they're non-breathing, you know, sometimes, you know, by touching them it can kick the body into go, okay, breathe, you know. 
Anyway, I don't know how long we had that, but not long. And same thing, every time it went off, it wasn't, oh, gee, I wonder what's – it was she was dead in our brains. So we would race in there and I thought, you know, after about five days, you went, what? This is out of our hands. You know, she, we're, she's, she's in everything – we're doing everything we're meant to, but there's not – there's nothing we can really do beyond mm. that, you know. And uh, so that was it. But, you know, um, uh, you know, most of the babies that it happened uh, in those days, the statistic were that they were male um, in the first few months of life, all that. But Bernadette was out of that statistic, mm. you know, and it can happen up to the age of two years old, you know, SIDS, you know. Um, but that's it really, that it, it still exists and I, I actually put something on one of my Facebook pages and, again, you know, even though it's 85% left, that's still 15% that it is happening to. Yeah. And a, a woman wrote to me basically saying, oh, thanks for bringing this up. My boy died just a few months ago. <laughs> Thinking, oh, God, I know the poor woman, what she's going through, you know. And it's just awful, you know. So It's a lot. It's something like nine, nine kids. Well, actually, it's uh, that, that what's Red Nose people do now, that the organisation's called Red Nose, they actually do research into and, and, and help uh, parents who've lost children for... Uh, any reason under the under yeah. a certain age, and so now that nine a day of babies that die incorporate stillbirth uh, and SIDS and other things. So, in fact, stillbirth is really worth talking to because again, the organisation helps in research in that area. Yeah. There are more babies that die in, in the birthing process of stillborn than women who die of breast cancer and deaths on the road. Now, again, if you think of the attention and the government focus of research into both those areas. And stillbirth is that just awful. My mother's had seven children, but her first baby was stillborn. So we were aware of that from the word go. And a lot of people, it's something that not a lot of people talk to them about, at least in, in, a, in a child that was around for a little while, you know. They can put a face to a name. They yeah. can, you know, they, they would probably share in the joy. But there's so many people out there who experience stillbirth um, that they just don't talk about it. They're not encouraged to talk about it. But most importantly, that's something that needs research. And the money that's donated to Red Nose Day absolutely investigates SIDS, but miscarriage and stillbirth. Mm. So it, they do wonderful work. Now, if this conversation brought anything up for you and, like, why wouldn't it? It's heavy stuff. You can always call Lifeline 13 11 14 anywhere in Australia and wherever you are in the world, I would encourage you to seek help. If you want to hear the full conversation with Paul, it is fantastic. Scroll on back to episode 241. We talk about grief, experiencing grief, processing grief. It's, it's a beautiful conversation. I'm super grateful to Paul for sharing. You know, it's one of the episodes that I've got that really people write to me and say it's really helped a lot of people. It's really helped them. So... I'm really grateful they took the time. You can also support Red Nose by visiting their website, rednose.org.au. Red Nose Day is in August, but you can donate any time of the year. I'm back here on Friday. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.